You are listening to the teaching ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Senior Minister Roger Hendricks. This weekend, we're drawing to conclusion of four-week series on the book of Ruth. Now, next weekend, we'll be kicking off a brand new series entitled From the Mountain. As we'll begin looking over this summer, some timeless life-giving truths that we can learn from the Ten Commandments. Uh, I've wanted to do a series from the Ten Commandments for years, and we've finally uh, designed and put together a series on that. And the first four of those commandments are going to be described as uh, from the mountain, as we look at those life-giving commandments from God uh, delivered many years ago, and how we can still apply those teachings to our life today. Now, also during this upcoming series, we're going to begin a transition, and we wanted to announce this this weekend, and and uh, we'll be making this announcement over the next couple weeks just so that everyone can be prepared for this. We're going to begin a transition for our Saturday, Saturday night here at Southwest. Uh, we're going to transition our Saturday night worship gathering into what we're going to describe as a focused small group uh, that I plan to continue to participate and lead. Although we've tried for the past three years to get our Saturday night service up and going, we've just never been able to get it to a critical mass that we get some momentum from. And um, in fact, we've examined as a leadership the time and resources that we've been putting into our Saturday service, and we've just asked ourselves, are we really accomplishing our vision and our mission as a church body through that? And so what we're going to do is beginning the weekend of June 23rd and 24th, the Saturday night group will begin meeting in the student wing, uh, which is going to be a smaller venue so that this large room doesn't in, you know, engulf them. And also, uh, we'll begin that uh, and begin approaching that more as a small group. Uh, now, during that small group, we will share the Sunday uh, morning message. So I plan to uh, continue to do that. We'll, we'll include communion and prayer. Uh, and so, for those of you who cannot worship on Sunday morning, maybe because of work or some other kind of conflict in schedule, uh, we hope you'll continue to view the Saturday night focus group as a, an opportunity to receive some encouragement and inspiration on the weekend. Since Larry will not be there, and we want it to be a time of encouragement, I will not be leading singing, okay? Um, because we want it to be encouraging, but we'll find other ways to praise God and celebrate and have prayers. So, uh, That'll be a, a transition the weekend of June 23rd, 24th. We'll announce it the next two weeks, and, uh, and so just make a note of that. Well, as we conclude our current message series examining the book of Ruth entitled Enduring Hope, uh, this, as we will, we've seen, it's truly a, mem- a memorable story found in the Bible that's truly given a lasting hope for generations. For the past 3,000 years, I don't know if you knew this, but for the past 3,000 years, 
Jewish believers have had this story publicly read during one of the annual Jewish feasts. This story has given hope to generations of God worshipers, even in the midst of some extremely difficult times. We hope that this series has and will give that hope into your life. The characters within this short story are both memorable and inspirational. And if you've not been here the past three weeks as we've tried to develop this story, let me just briefly review the three main characters of this story. So the character development, first of all, of Ruth. We noticed the first week of this series that her name means companion. And she demonstrates that through an incredible devotion and loyalty to her uh, destitute mother-in-law who uh, suddenly found herself without a husband and without both of her sons. And probably her devotion and loyalty is best summed up in the most famous verse of this entire book. It's found in Ruth chapter 1, verse 16, when Ruth told her mother-in-law, Naomi, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. I love that. We saw the last two weekends in chapter 2 and 3, God continued to be at work, sometimes anonymously, as he led Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, back to Bethlehem. They had been living in the foreign country of Moab, where Ruth was from, and they had gone there, or Naomi and her husband and sons had gone there because of a famine in Israel. They learned that, that that the famine has ended, and they return to Israel, and they return to Bethlehem. And it seems as, as this phrase shows up over and over again in the story of Ruth, that they just happened to meet a family relative, by a gentleman by the name of Boaz, who's a landowner and a man of standing, who just so happens to take a genuine interest in Ruth. Now, as we concluded chapter 3, we see the the character of Naomi displayed. One, an individual who had grown bitter during the difficult times, and yet she continued to hold on to faith, and she continued to verbalize genuine love and concern for Ruth and her confidence in this distant relative Boaz. And and that can be summed up in his review of last week in Ruth chapter 3, verse 18, when Naomi said to Ruth, just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man, she's talking about Boaz, won't rest until he has settled things today. Well, in the rest of our time today, as we summarize and conclude this series, we're going to be more fully developing the character of Boaz. I love this guy, Boaz. Now, first of all, we're going to see that he demonstrates great wisdom. If you're taking notes, that's the first observation we want to make about Boaz. Now, last week, we learned that Boaz is a family member of Naomi's deceased husband. And I know I'm throwing a lot of names at you if you've not been here the last three weeks. Uh, But it's really simple. Ruth is the daughter-in-law. Naomi is the mother-in-law. And they come back to Bethlehem. 
And Boaz is this distant relative that they didn't know previously, okay? Well, he is the uh, relative, a family member of Naomi's deceased husband, a guy named Elimelech. You won't be quizzed on that name, okay? And he was second in line, though. Boaz was second in line to observe what the Jewish people called a kinsman redeemer or family redeemer. Now, we described this last week, that a family redeemer could redeem or buy back an individual who maybe had actually sold themselves into slavery to pay a debt. A family redeemer could buy them back out of slavery. Or they could buy back land that they had sold to pay off a debt. Or in the case of a, of a widow uh, like Ruth... And remember, this was a time where women couldn't work and have the ability to make a a living as in our modern generations. And so they were very dependent on the men to make the living. And so the Jewish people had this, this family redeemer that would marry a widow so that she would be taken care of. Well, Boaz desired to be such a family redeemer. He desired to redeem Naomi and Ruth from their desperate situation. And although he desired to do that, he wasn't the closest relative. Now, we don't really know the name of this closest relative. In fact, uh, he's unnamed in the story, and I'll talk a little bit more about that later. But uh, we're going to find out that Boaz approaches the situation in an incredibly wise way. He demonstrates that he's not a bozo, okay? He's Boaz, okay? Now, we will see a a bozo in this story, though. Okay, let's keep reading. In Ruth chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there. Just then, the family redeemer he had mentioned came by. So Boaz called out to him, "'Come over here and sit down, friend.'" I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. Then Boaz called 10 leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, you know Naomi who came back from Moab? She's selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away, because I'm next in line to redeem it after you. The man replied, all right, I'll redeem it. Now, let's just pause there for a minute. Let's examine the wise manner in which Boaz handled this negotiation. Let's first notice that he approached this unnamed relative in a civil, friendly manner. How rare is that? In our world of Twitter wars, where it seems that people are so quick to call others names and call others in very, you know, negative descriptions, Boaz instead approaches his unnamed relative as friend and not as a foe. I truly believe there's great wisdom in approaching others in this manner. You know, as a church family, we're, we're cons- constantly seeking to be 
a church that's, that's known as a church that's friendly and considerate and outgoing. That's not always in our history necessarily been our strength, but we really want to turn it into a strength. And so we're focusing on that regularly. In fact, uh, I agree with Rick Atchley, who recently wrote this. Today at church, so think about this quote. Today at church, make a point to meet and welcome someone who doesn't look or seem like you at all. It's good heaven practice. We want to make that our practice here at Southwest. You know, last Sunday, I was really encouraged because following our our worship gatherings, I noticed a number of bright and attractive people came up and approached me following the service, and I was really encouraged. And then I realized I'd posted that quote on social media earlier that day. So, think about it. Okay, all right. So, whether someone seems like you or looks like you, and even if you don't know them by name, then reach out and say, hi, friend, or maybe you can think of a way that seems more natural to you to introduce yourself to them. Well, let's continue as a church to be wise and deepen the bonds of love in this place. Now, back to this text. Just when you're ready to gasp and think that this love story between Ruth and Boaz that we described last week is ready to get tragically derailed, Boaz demonstrates his wisdom in negotiation. Now, some of you have heard of the book entitled The Art of the Deal. Well, Boaz shrewdly carries out the art of the deal breaker, okay? In the very next verse, he tells the unnamed relative this. Then Boaz told him, of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way she can have children who would carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. Then I can't redeem it, the family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land. I cannot do it. Now, although we don't know much about this guy who declines to be Ruth's family redeemer, He's really not portrayed in a positive light. It appears that he might be the bozo of this story as he misses out on being part of God's unfolding story. And all because it appears he's too wrapped up in his own self-interest. One commentator describing this unnamed relative, in fact, he described him as Mr. Whatever. This is what he said. Mr. Whatever is an example of selfishness that lurks in the gateway of every human heart. Have you ever noticed that when we get wrapped up in our own self-interests, we end up losing? We end up missing out on the life that God intends for us to live. We miss out on the quality relationships that God wants us to experience. You know, yesterday I had the privilege to officiate at a wedding of a very special young couple. It was a June wedding. It was outdoors. It was beautiful. It was a little hot. I was soaked and drenched after the wedding, you know, in sweat. But, uh, but it was a beautiful wedding, and pictures are going to be great. And, and yet, during that wedding, I reminded the couple, and I wanted to remind all married people here today that it's important when you think about marriage to ask the right question 
to not ask the question, what am I getting out of this marriage? But instead, ask the wiser question, what am I giving to this marriage? You see, it's a difference between being self-focused and focused on the self-interest and being focused on others. You know, the same comes with the life of the church. Instead of saying, what am I getting out of this church? Instead, the better question is say, what am I giving to this church? You see, the true wisdom is found in loving and living for God and loving and serving others. That's why Jesus said, if anyone wants to be my follower, a follower, a disciple of Jesus, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. You see, an important part of discipleship, an important part of following Jesus is learning to live a life that is not focused on self-interest, but has learned to focus on the interest of God and the interest of others. You see, Boaz was truly wise in his life choices, unlike this unnamed relative. And he carries out, our second observations, Boaz carries out these choices with true integrity. Now, we see earlier flashes of this integrity uh, earlier in verse 1 and 2 as, as it says that Boaz wisely conducted these negotiations with 10 local leaders serving as witnesses. He continues to demonstrate integrity in this public transaction. Let's read about it in verse 7. It says, now in those days, it was the custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. This publicly validated the transaction. So the other family redeemer drew off his sandal as he said to Boaz, you buy the land. Now, although the the custom that's described here in Scripture by the Jewish people of removing a sandal and handing it over to the seller seems odd to us, it possibly would seem strange to people of a different culture for the way that we carry out transactions. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but what do we do? Oftentimes when we're making a transaction of sale, we'll take out our wallet or ladies will take out their purse and you'll take out a piece of plastic and hand it to somebody. Now, future generations will read and hear about that and they'll go, that was weird. I mean, why didn't they just do a digital transaction? You know, I've got 20-something kids that when we're trying to do cash exchanges between family members, they'll just say, Mom, Dad, would you just download the app Venmo, you know? It would be so much easier. In fact, I'm thinking that as time goes on, you'll just blink at somebody and you'll transfer funds. I'm nervous because I have allergies and I might (laughs) become destitute, okay? But but that was the, the way they did it in that day. Well, back to our text in verse 9. Then Boaz said to the elders and to the crowd standing around, you're witnesses today that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. Those are the sons of Naomi. And with the land I've acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malon, to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You are all witnesses today. 
Then the elders and all the people standing in the gate replied, We are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nation of Israel descended. May you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. And may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestor Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah. I love this guy, Boaz, as he demonstrates true godly character. Yes, he's a wise man of integrity who steps up through these public negotiations to generously provide for Ruth, but also for her mother-in-law, Naomi. As we discussed last week, he, he handled himself with sexual purity and integrity. And Boaz is an older, single man, treated Ruth, a, a very vulnerable, younger woman with great respect and dignity. Yes, we truly need more Boazes in our world. Yet as I reread this story preparing for this message series, I kept asking myself, and maybe you're asking yourself, what led Boaz to be such a man of civility, such a man of compassion, so, such a man of generosity? You see, I, I want to be a person of integrity, I want to be a person of civility, compassion, and generosity like Boaz. How about you? But what led him to be such a man? Well, as I dug into Boaz's history, I learned something that really kind of rocked me. You see, I've read and studied and even taught from the book of Ruth for years, but I learned something that I never noticed before. In another Bible verse describing Boaz, we're told in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, that Boaz's dad's name was Salmon, and his mother was Rahab. Now, for those of you who are newer to the Bible, you might not know who Salmon and Rahab are. Salmon was not the guy who discovered my favorite seafood, okay? I just want to make sure you know that. But honestly, we really don't know much about Salmon, except that he was Jewish, and he was from the tribe of Judah. But Rahab was a non-Jewish prostitute from the city of Jericho who exercised great faith and became adopted into the Jewish people. And it had never dawned on me before that Boaz was her son. Every time Rahab's mentioned in the Bible, she's described as Rahab the prostitute or the prostitute Rahab. I wonder what would it be like to be raised as her son and to always be known as the son of the prostitute? How would that affect you? How would that impact you? Do you ever think he was ridiculed or prejudiced against because of his ethnicity? See, he was half, non, he was half non-Jewish or his background or his pedigree. Do you think he ever experienced heartache or rejection? Possibly it's why he was still single when he was older. Possibly it's why he was such a man of integrity because he already had several strikes against him and he wanted to make sure there was no question that he was a man of honesty and integrity. Possibly it's why he was so compassionate toward this grieving widow named Naomi. 
And possibly it was why he was so kind and compassionate toward the outsider, the foreigner, Ruth, who herself was a grieving widow. You see, sometimes it's through the most difficult and painful ordeals of life that our character and our concerns for others are truly developed. One overriding theme throughout the book of Ruth is that famine, hardship, heartache, and even rejection can happen to anyone, even people of faith. And even though there's nothing in the book of Ruth that leads us to believe that God caused any of these difficulties, we do see that it still happens to people of faith. And yet God is at work throughout the book, at times silently, working behind the scenes, setting the stage for His future glory to eventually be seen even in the midst of some really tough stuff. You know, every week here at Southwest, we have people on the whole continuum of human emotions. And I'm very aware of that every weekend as I get up here to speak. We have people who are coming off great life victories like our high school graduates. They're like, "Woo! you know, we're done with high school. We're ready to move on. We're ready for some of them to leave home. And there's an excitement, a a thrilling anticipation. And they're, they're at that point in life. And then there's other people who've gone through a tough week where they feel beaten down by life, burdened with heartache and grief, and possibly really tested in their faith, and and maybe even on the verge of doubting, does God still care? Is God still there? You see, this weekend is no exception. We have a dear family here at Southwest, the the Fink family, who unexpectedly lost a younger family member this past week. That's extremely tough. As a parent, I can't think of anything tougher. And I want to ask you to join me in praying for this dear family. You know, I was moved today. I don't know if some of you didn't probably even know. But to see Annette and Jamie up here singing, God is good. He's so good. And I just, I was inspired by their faith in the midst of all that they've been through. That they would demonstrate that kind of faith. I, I don't know if I could do that. And I'm so inspired by them. The viewing and the funeral for Katie will be here at this building on Thursday. And as those details are crystallized. We'll send out emails and let people know. And a number of people said, how can you help? And we'll, we'll let that be known. But I just want to ask this weekend, will you join me in praying for them and praying for them just to feel loved by God and loved by us as a church family during this difficult time? You know, as I've shared before, I I don't know what to say in moments like this. And, and yet I believe that Boaz is an example of the thesis that I really believe that God never wastes a hurt. And that those who suffer great loss 
as, as they hold on to their faith, will eventually be able to see God glorified even in the midst of their pain. If they just keep their eyes on the Lord and keep an enduring hope of God's promises. We see that play out in the story of Ruth and Boaz. And finally, we see in the midst of all the hardship and loss, this story began with three weeks ago. We see it truly ends with enduring hope that God is setting the stage for a lasting legacy. In Ruth chapter 4 and verse 13, we read these words. So Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant and she gave birth to a son. Then the woman of the town said to Naomi, praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast. And she cared for him as if he were her own. Then Abra women said, now at last, Naomi has a son again. Once again, we see that Boaz and Ruth are willing to stay in the background and let others, in this case, Naomi, bask in the limelight. You see, Ruth was the one who sacrificially gave up her homeland, who took care of her widowed mother-in-law. She was the one who went out into the fields to work, to glean, to gather a grain harvest. Boaz was the landowner who, t- who noticed that and full of godly character was willing to sacrificially take care of those who were less fortunate and those in need. And then it doesn't seem quite fair that at the end of the Ruth story, the child is handed over to Naomi to continue her legacy and the legacy of her dead sons. Hold on to that thought for just a moment. But I think it is noteworthy that it seems those who actually do leave a lasting legacy often are those that aren't concerned about the legacy they leave. You see, true legacy makers are typically those that are so focused on obeying and serving God and meeting the needs of others that they're not concerned about their legacy, but yet they do leave a legacy. That was true with Ruth and Boaz. And I do believe Boaz and Ruth left a a lasting legacy, but they did it by not holding on to their rights or even their hurts, but they continued to do that which was right and continued to trust and hope and have enduring hope in God's promises. Now, before we close our time in the book of Ruth, let's notice who this baby is. If you read the rest of that verse, that baby that Naomi held, it says, and they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. So yes, Boaz and Ruth, if you do the family tree, were the great, great grandparents of King David, the most famous king of Israel. 
And through that same family line, 1,000 years later, another king, more famous than him, was born in their town of Bethlehem. Now, here's the funny thing. Though they were willing to take the back seat and let this child be the, the, the lasting legacy of Naomi, and that's how Ruth ends, the book of Ruth ends, Later yet, when we read the genealogy of King David and even the genealogy of King Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, we see that it's not Naomi who is listed, it's Boaz and Ruth. In fact, Ruth is one of the only five women who are mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. And each one of them are either a foreigner or someone with a questionable past like Rahab. Maybe that tells us that Jesus came from the family line of outcasts. And he came to invite those who maybe at times have felt like an outcast to come in to his family. I shared earlier that this story of Ruth has been read for 3,000 years by Jewish believers during one of the annual feasts. You might have wondered which feast it was. It was the feast of the Pentecost. The Jewish feast of the Pentecost is 50 days after the Passover. It's a feast to celebrate God's harvest and God's provision. And the book of Ruth was read every year, and it's continued to be read by practicing Jews today during this feast. Why? Because it's a constant reminder of God's provision. A reminder that even when you're going through the most difficult times in life, that if you will keep your faith and trust in God, if you will keep an enduring hope that God, although He at times might seem absent, He's always present, He's always at work. You know, as we wrap up our time and as we prepare to take communion, I think it's also significant that the Feast of the Pentecost was when the church began. You can read about that in Acts chapter 2. In fact, in my vivid imagination, I can picture Ruth being read in the public courts at about the time the Holy Spirit's poured out and the church begins. And what was the message that Peter preached at the beginning of the church? is that Jesus had come from heaven, the one that was born from this long line of faithful people, people that held on to hope that God was going to send a redeemer, he was going to send a savior, that out of that long line of people that Jesus was finally born and that he came to be the ultimate redeemer. Yes, Boaz is the kinsman redeemer in the story, but Jesus is the ultimate redeemer. And here's the good news that happened at Pentecost. This message of good news was made available to all people, not just people that have the right bloodline. The people like you and me that maybe come from a background that we would have been previously excluded. Maybe people like you and me that we have things in our past that we are ashamed of. And yet the good news in Jesus Christ is those of us who at one time were far away can be brought near. We can be brought into the family and we too can be a part of what God is doing in this world. What a good news. What an amazing story of faith.
and we get to be a part of it. As we observe this time of communion, as we take the bread, remembering the body of Jesus, as we take the cup, remembering his blood that was shed, let's give thanks for God's amazing plan that's rolled out over history, that's rolled out over generations to bring the ultimate Redeemer of Jesus. And as we take communion, let's be grateful that God is willing to redeem us, buy us back from our past, and invite us into a, to a glorious future that's made only available through Jesus. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you for this amazing story of Ruth that we've read over the last four weeks. And Father, I just, I marvel how that something written 3,000 years ago can just pierce our hearts and speak to what's going on in our everyday life. Thank you for the hope that this story brings into our hearts and lives. And thank you that through the faithfulness of Ruth and Boaz, you continued the family line that led to Jesus, our Redeemer. Help us during this time of communion to just think about what incredibly good news it is that in Christ, you don't hold our past against us. That in Christ, regardless of our background, you invite us in to your story of love and faith and redemption. Help us just be grateful and put our hope totally completely in you during this time of communion. It's in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to Southwest Church Teaching Ministries. We are a community of people committed to following Jesus and making disciples. Please join us for one of our three weekly gatherings, Saturdays at 5.30 p.m., Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11.15 p.m.